they gave their disciples outline prayers. And then they, they worked their way down through these outline prayers, line by line by line, explaining them, expanding upon them, drawing out the implications of each line, each statement, and learning how to apply what they were learning as they were being taught these prayers. Jesus, being a rabbi, did likewise. Remember, his disciples came to him and they said, teach us how to pray. They had made some kind of connection between what they saw in his life and his prayer life. They'd seen him go away and spend all night in prayer sometimes. They'd seen him get up early in the morning before anybody else and go and spend time in prayer. So they knew his prayer life was significant. They knew it made a difference. They wanted to learn how to pray and have him teach them. And so he would give them an outline prayer. We call this the outline prayer of the Our Father. We began last week and we started simply with the concept of Father, looking at God as our Father. When we pray, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So sometimes people are a little confused. Should I pray to Jesus? Should I pray to the Father? Who should I pray to? Jesus tells us. He says, this is how you should pray. Pray to the Father. Now let's just read through the Our Father, and then we'll look at the next, the next line. <clears throat> he says, verse 9, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So each one of those sentences, we're going to just read, we're going to study, we're going to parse, we're going to draw out implications and learn what those sentences actually mean, rather than just kind of recite the, the, the Our Father as so many of us have learned to do over the years. So look with me at this second phrase. Hallowed be your name. Say that with me. Hallowed be your name. Now when we say that, first thing we want to think about, when we say hallowed be your name, what are we saying? What are we saying? I suggest you the first thing that we're saying, or at least that we ought to be thinking when we're saying it, is that God is to have priority over every aspect of our life. Is that true? He's to have priority over every aspect of our life. And certainly, he used to have priority in those times of deepest communion with him when we are praying. Hallowed be your name. God's name signifies infinitely more than just a title. It signifies and represents all that he is. His person, his character, his will, his purpose, his plan. His name reflects all of that. You recall when Moses was up on the mountain uh, to get the, the tablets from, of law from, from God. And uh, he said to God, he says, I, I want to see you. You call me your friend. I want to see you face to face. And God says, no man can see me and live, but I'll put you up here in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. I'll put my hand in front. And, and when I pass by, I'll remove my hand. You'll see my backside. And when God passed by and removed his hand, Moses saw the glory of the Lord. 
But when God passed by, he declared his name. He says in Exodus chapter 34, let me just read it to you so we're accurate. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and you could say literally thousands of generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So here it is, is God proclaims his name, and his name reflects all that he is, all that his character is. So when we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying, one, certainly, that God is to have priority. Secondly, his name shined forth gloriously, just like he, his glory was seen by Moses. His name shined forth gloriously. In other words, it's to be esteemed and honored in every area of our lives. And thirdly, his name be exalted above every name. So when we say, hallowed be your name, it means a number of things, very expansive kinds of things. But tragically, God's name is not hallowed in our, in, our, in our culture, in our society today, because it's not always hallowed by his people. It's not always honored by his people. Sometimes we trivialize his name. How do we do that? By not living in a manner that brings him glory and honor. In chapter 5, verse 16, he tells his disciples, he said, let your light shine before men. Let your good deeds be seen before men so that they will do what? They'll give what? Praise to your Father in heaven. So we have to, we have to say, well, it, it, you know, the world it hates God and, and all that, and that's true. They don't know him. But the only way they're going to come to know him in his graciousness, his kindness, his mercy, his goodness, is through his people. Does that make sense? As they look at our life and they watch how we live. And as we are esteeming him, esteeming his name, giving him true priority, people are going to also, even in, in, a, in, a, in a pagan culture, he says they'll be drawn to him to give him praise. So again, it's, it comes back to us. It comes back to God's church and God's people. Tragically, too many times we trivialize his name. Taking God's name seriously depends very simply on taking God himself seriously. And that depends on having a sound biblical perspective. I cannot take God seriously if, you, if I don't know what he's like, if I don't know how he thinks, if I don't know what his will is. I can't take God seriously if I, if I don't understand anything about him. And that requires that I, that I read about him, that I read his book. I learn about him. And he talks to me. I need to know who he is. I need to know what he's like, what his purpose is. I need to know who I am by comparison. I'm the potter, he's the clay. Right? No, he's the potter. But very often we feel like, you know, we're the potter, he's the clay. We mold him to fit what we think is, ought, ought, to be, uh, ought to be the way it is. We tell him how to do it, what to do, and so forth. No, no, he's the potter, we're the clay. 
Paul says in Romans, uh, he says, shall, shall, the, shall the, the, the pot say back to the potter, why did you make me this way? And very often we, we don't acknowledge who he is in all of his sovereignty. I, I'm, I'm concerned that there's no real fear of God anymore. In many quarters in, in, in the church today, there's, there's no real fear of God. It's kind of like the, in the book of Judges, that everybody is doing what they, what they deem fit, what, what they want to do. Regardless of what God says, regardless of, of uh, what, what we understand of his will, people are still, doggone it, doing what they want to do. There's no fear of God. So much of Christian faith today, on the part of so many people, is superficial and self-centered, rather than serious, humble, and God-centered. It's just that simple. Jesus even talks about that. He talks about how people will, will, will call him Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you. And quite frankly, because they were not genuinely fruitful. They had lots of foliage about their life, but there was no fruit. Hallowing his name, like every other manifestation of righteousness, begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. That word, by the way, hallowed, is an old English word. And it's, it's a translation from the Greek word uh, Hagiadzo, which we also translate as holy. So really, literally, uh, that whole word grouping speaks of the word holy. His name is holy. It is to be hallowed. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, In your hearts set apart or sanctify, depending on which translation you're reading from, set apart or sanctify Christ as Lord. And that word that's translated sanctify or set apart comes from the exact same word grouping, hagiadzo, again, from which we get the word holy. Set him apart. Understand who he is and that he be holy, holy. When do we not hallow his name? Think about that. When do we not, or let me rephrase. How do we, even as his people called by his name, how do we even profane his name? Now, mo most of us would say, I, I, I would I'd never take God's name in vain. I would never profane his name. Great. Let me just go down some examples. Common ways in which people actually do, Christians actually do profane his name. We can use God, and people often do, his name, his authority as a rationale for our own decisions and for our own activities. We can do things in God's name that we justify. All manner of things. Some very egregious examples out of history, most of us are aware of these, the Crusades were justified in God's name. The Inquisition was justified in God's name. The KKK was justified in God's name. Slavery was justified in God's name. 
uh, Christian people said, look, there's slavery in the Bible, so it must be okay. God didn't forbid it. And so it was okay for them to rationalize and own slaves in the South in our country. Now, of course, we're not the only people that uh, own slaves. This is a, they're slaves today, aren't they? All over the world still. It's not just a phenomenon uh, respective to us. Even, even in our modern day, it's easy for, for us, if you are a conservative, politically oriented, Republican person, to justify American nationalism in the name of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad I was born an American. I'm doubly glad I was born in Manhattan Beach. That's purely the grace of God. But what can happen is that you can justify our nationalism any number of ways and by suggesting that, that America is a Christian nation or was originally a Christian nation. It was not. America has never been a Christian nation. It was founded on Judeo-Christian principles but it was never a Christian nation. And so we use God, the flag, and we equate them almost. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just suggesting to you how easy it is for us to use God conveniently to justify our own decisions, our own um, issues, if you will. There's another way that we can profane his name. We bring dishonor and disgrace to God's name when we profess much, but possess little. That's called hypocrisy. Jesus, Jesus attacks all of his enemies. He, he points out the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as being hypocrites. He tells the disciples, don't be like them. They're hypocrites. And we went through a whole litany of, 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 of issues that he described. And that's a, that's a challenge because there are lots and lots of people in churches today who say one thing but do another, whose lives do not bear out the truth of their testimony. Let me read to you from um, Ezekiel chapter 33. God says, as for you, son of man, God's not speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. What's God saying? He's saying, they're going to come and listen. They, they're, they're, they're encouraging you, let's come and listen. And they'll listen, but they'll be hearers only and not what? Doers. That profanes God. That profanes God. And that profanes his name. Because ostensibly, people come and they say, I want to hear the word of the Lord. I, I want to have God talk to me. I want to learn what God's word says. I want to worship him. 
but they go away totally unaffected. That's profaning his name. James chapter 1, verse 22. James talks about this very thing. Let me get that page. He says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Have you ever done that? People say to me, Pastor, that was, that, was a, that was one of the greatest messages I've ever heard. I said, great. What did I say? It was good. <laughs> okay, it was good. All right, okay, all right. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? See, all this flies in the face of, of our profession if we are not living it out. And if we don't live it out, our testimony about him really is a false testimony. And that equates to us profaning his name. Does that make sense to you? Matthew chapter 7. I alluded to it a few moments ago. The context of the, these remarks is Jesus teaching about a tree and its fruit. He says, you shall know the tree by its fruit. So he sets that principle forward. And then he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. Accent on the doing again. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And he says, I'll tell them plainly, never did I know you. He's saying, in effect, because the context is foliage or fruit. They had lots of foliage, no fruit. No fruit. They weren't living out what God's will was. They were doing what they thought was important. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16... Paul speaks of people who claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. You deny Him, you deny His name. His name represents everything He is. So the question we want to ask is, do our lives demonstrate what we profess? Do we actually live out on a day-to-day -day basis what we profess we, to, to believe? Whatever and however we do reflects on our Father in heaven. Thirdly, we profane his name by using the Bible to support false teaching and heresy. This happens all the time. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this. Now he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. He's instructing Timothy. So 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are called pastoral epistles because they're written to pastors instructing them how you do church. And so in chapter 4, he says this. 
Time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So he's saying, this is going to go on. People who profess to be believers are not going to want to know the word of God. They're not going to say, please explain the word of God to me. They're going to say, please say nice things to me. Make me feel good. Tickle my ears. And these are people who profess to be believers. And by doing that, they end up profaning his name. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we read this. There will be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. You bring the way of truth into disrepute, you bring God into disrepute. Is this an important issue? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where well, you and I would sit there and we'd say, I would never profane his name. I would never use his name in a vain manner. And yet, many times, how we conduct ourselves or don't conduct ourselves, we end up profaning his name. We degrade the name of God by vain repetition. We degrade his name by casual and unnecessary use of his name or simply, deliberately using his name as an expletive. We've all heard his name used as an expletive, haven't we? Think of this simple example. Something happens, we say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Someone tells you some good news, you say, praise the Lord. Sometimes praise the Lord rolls off our lips as a slogan, as a substitute for, hey, that's great. We don't even think about it. We don't even think about it. Now, I know that that could be a debatable issue, but I'm just, if, if I have to use hyperbole, I'm going to use hyperbole to make the point. We have to be very, very careful how we use his name. Not casually, not in a vain manner. We need to use his name reverentially. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it's the third commandment. God says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I've told this story before, but a number of years ago, I was in my gym and I was working out and in the shower room, in the locker room, getting dressed. And there's this guy over here who's just Jesus Christ this, Jesus Christ that. And, and, you know, you just try to ignore it and consider the source. But it just got to be so egregious, I had to stop. I said, you know, excuse me. He's my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. Could you not use his name that way? And he just said, blank you. So I thought, all right. I said, let me ask you one more question. He said, what's that? I said, what's your mother's name? It dawned on him why I wanted to know his mother's name. It wasn't a pretty scene. 
I told him, I said, you, you, don't, you probably don't realize this, but God says he will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I thought you might want to just know that. Leviticus chapter 24, God says, anyone who curses his God, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord, will be put to death. Wow. You have to ask yourself this question, do I unnecessarily use, unnecessarily misuse his name? Do I use expressions like, oh God, or OMG, or God, just as expressions, just without even thinking. So sensitive were the Jews about the, even the possibility of misusing his name that they never pronounced it, they never spelled it. When the occasion came up for God's name to be used, they would never use it. They would call, they would just use, they would say this, the name. The name. You look in ancient writings, in the, every place where his name would go, his name was blank. It was just the name. They were so sensitive to misusing his name. And yet, our, we, we can be so casual about it and so relaxed about it. We live in, a, in, a, in, a, in an era, in a time when we cherish God's grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, all that wonderful stuff, and we forget about his reverence. We lose sight of what it really means to honor him and to be in fear of him. We see t-shirts, bumper stickers, various marketing ploys and products, bearing logos and slogans. This blood's for you. Jesus, the real thing. There was at one time, I don't know if it's still around in the marketplace, but there was a Christian popcorn. Pops Almighty. There are lots and lots of examples. Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? I submit to you because carnal and unnecessary use of his name wears away and dilutes our sensitivity to the enormous reverence we should have for him and his name. How many, how many take their name seriously? Okay, about six or seven of you, okay. Do you know what I'm saying? You take your name seriously? Yeah, because what's a name? A name represents everything you are, really, doesn't it? When, when your, your name comes up in a conversation, what, what comes to people's minds when they hear your name? What do people think? How do they react or how do they respond to that? You understand why God can take his name so seriously. His name identifies who he is and what he is. Identifies his person and character. In the Hebrew faith, knowledge of God's names was a means of worship. 
It was a means of connecting with him. It was a means of realizing his character. It was a means of deepening one's personal relationship with him. Just knowing his name. We place a, a great premium on knowing people's names. Most of us have a hard time remembering names, don't we? Um, oh, what's her face? Now, does that communicate anything significant? Yeah, you didn't care enough to remember. It says something about that person. They, they go, what's his face? What's her face? It doesn't speak very much of relationship, does it? Do we want to be known? Do we want to be remembered? Do we want to remember, be remembered fondly? In truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me just give you some examples of his name. Elohim is the first one you run into in the Bible. This is the Hebrew word that's typically translated God. Elohim, interesting Hebrew word. It's always translated singularly, God. But in the Hebrew, it's in a plural form. Plural in the Hebrew refers to three or more. Isn't that interesting? So Elohim, God, three or more, said, let there be light. My. Gain some measure of insight. So the Hebrews, the Jews, knew something about the nature of God, how he existed, just by that simple name. The next name we run into is Yahweh. This is translated into the English as Lord, but all four letters are caps, capitals. Yahweh. This is God's, if you will, his personal name. It's how God likes to be referred to in inter, interpersonal relationship. This is how he revealed himself to Moses. Moses was his friend. Yahweh comes from the verb to be. And it expresses simply the essence of his nature, the essence of his character. Again, in Exodus chapter 3, when he identified himself to Moses, and Moses said, well, who are you? What's your name? And what did God say? I am. I am. I am. What does that mean? I am. It's simply God's way of saying that he's self-existent, he's self-sufficient, he's sovereign, he needs no one, he needs no thing. In fact, everything depends on him. I am that I am. Whoa. That'd be cool. Then you have his name El Shaddai. El Shaddai is found in Genesis chapter 17. And here's where God appears to Abram one more time. And Abram's 99. And what does God say to him when he's 99? Do you remember? This time next year, Sarah's going to give birth, right? And Abram laughs. And God says, in effect, there's nothing too hard for me. I'm God Almighty, El Shaddai. It's comforting to know that he's Almighty. It's comforting to know that there's nothing too hard for him. It's comforting to know that he is a personal God. It's encouraging. He is Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Yireh, Genesis chapter 22, means the Lord will provide, or 
the Lord provides. This is the, the account where Abraham is sacrificing Isaac on the, on, the, on the altar, and God stops him and provides a substitute. What a beautiful picture. And that ram that was the substitute would be a picture of God's provision for all of Abraham's offspring, all those who are of the faith of Abraham, and all those true believers would be saved through God's substitute, Jesus Christ. The Lord provides. Yahweh Rapha, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. He identifies himself this way by this name, the Lord who heals. He is the God who heals. And he's promising Israel, if you obey me, I will heal you and you will not contract any of the diseases that were known down in Egypt. I will heal you. Just obey me. Just trust me. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Exodus chapter 17. This, ref this name refers to God's role in providing security for his people in the presence of their enemies. He is my banner. He's my protection. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. In the sixth chapter of the book of Judges, when God encounters, or I should say the angel of the Lord encounters Gideon, and Gideon realizes he's seen the angel of the Lord face to face, and he's terrified that he's going to die. And the angel of the Lord says, peace. Identifies himself as Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh said, canoe. The Lord, our righteousness. He is our righteousness. And only he provides true righteousness. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and chapter 33, God says to the prophet, through the prophet, that Yahweh Sidkenu will come. The righteous one will come. The one who will sit on David's throne will come. And who would that be? That's Jesus. That's right. The righteous king finally will reign. There are lots of other names. And I just wanted to give you a, a, just an example of some. But the, when, the, when the Jews rehearsed these names and they meditated on these names, these names were a source of great comfort, strength, encouragement, peace, joy, confidence, and hope. Enhancing their sense of relationship with God. And each one teaches us and taught them something crucial about God's nature. Crucial about his character and the way he relates to his people. So when, whenever we, we, we just, just think about this. If we, if we ever undermine in any way belief in his sovereignty. By how we live or choices we make. We function out of fear. If we undermine belief in his sovereignty, we in effect call into question and blaspheme his name and character as El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. Whenever we question his provision by setting out to achieve happiness or wealth or success or our own salvation by our own strength, we deny him as Yahweh Yireh. If we seek to establish our own righteousness, we deny him as Yahweh Sidkenu. 
So there's very, very, very simple ways as we live our life that we can, in effect, profane his name. To hold his sovereignty, to hold his righteousness, his peace, his providence, his holiness in high regard is to hold his name and his person in high regard. Everything about him is awesome. Everything about him is glorious. Everything about him should cause us throughout the day as we think on him to just praise him and thank him continuously. To discredit any of those names is in effect to pour out contempt on the very person of the one that we say we worship. And Jesus himself, by the way, Jesus himself gives us the clearest understanding about what God's name means. Jesus does this. How does he do this? Because Jesus Christ is God's greatest name. Think about that. Jesus Christ is God's greatest name. In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 6, he says, I have revealed you, speaking to the Father, I have revealed you, or you could also translate, I have revealed your name. How has he revealed? By his life. By his person. I revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, manifested God's name and fulfilled all of his names. Everything that he said, Jesus fulfilled all that. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that his name is the name that's above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. His is the greatest name. And finally, we're not to misuse God's name because it is the name by which we are saved. Listen again to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. It's by that very name I'm saved. And not only must we hallow his name because we're saved by calling upon it, we also hallow his name because we bear his name as his children and as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God speaks of my people who are called by my name. This, of course, would be in contrast to all those who would seek to make a name for themselves. Do people do that? All the time. All the time. This one guy I talked to said to me, he said, you know, he says, I want you to know something. I'm a self-made man. I said, whoa, wow, that's great. I guess that relieves God of any responsibility, doesn't it? We're taught this. This is part of our American culture to be self-made people, to make a name for yourself when we're to bear his name. Remember the Tower of Babel? Distinctly, that, in, that, in, that, in that account, the people were trying to make a name for themselves, separate themselves from God. 
Romans 8, 16 calls us God's children. Romans 8, 29 identifies believers as Christ's brothers. Unlike any name we could make for ourselves, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It defends us from the forces of this world, our own flesh, and the devil himself. Call on the Lord. Pastor, I'm having nightmares. Demons are attacking me. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. He is your strong tower. May his name be hallowed by us. In every aspect of our life, where we work, where we play, in our homes, in our schools. May our politicians, O oh God, hallow your name by the way they conduct themselves. May our educators hallow your name as they execute their calling with excellence. May our business people carry out their honorable vocations, hallowing your name, Lord, as they function with uncommon dignity, integrity, and respect. May our homemakers and home builders, our mothers and fathers, hallow your name as they make it their purpose to create dynasties of faith their children and children's children taking their own places in society as salt and light. What a challenge. What a beautiful challenge. Christians ought to be known as the best workers. Would you agree? Christians ought to be known as the most reliable people. Christians ought to be known not as liars, not as cheaters, not as perverts, not as weirdos, We've been saved from all that. We were liars. We were cheaters. We were perverts. But we've been saved from all that. And how we live our life speaks volumes of who has saved us. And we tell people, you can call on the name of the Lord and he will save you too. Look at my life. You knew me before. You know me now. What a, what a privilege. Think about this for a second. What a privilege for, for us to work and to long for the day when God's name is no longer blasphemed among the Gentiles because of us. What a glorious day that will be. You and I hallowing his name by how we live, not treating his name casually, not honoring false teaching, not seeking out after it. Isaiah says the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. One day the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. That will be a day, beloved, when God's name will be truly hallowed. Say this with me. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are who you are and that you reveal yourself to us. And the more you reveal yourself to us, the more we're in awe. And Lord, we begin to see clearly how much you deserve to be honored, 
praised, worshipped, esteemed. Every word we can think of to bring you glory. Lord, we are sorry for and we confess our failures and our sins for any way of trivializing your name and in so doing, trivializing your person. Lord, it's not about being cute. It's about being serious. It's not about us being self-centered. It's about being you-centered. And Lord, we ask you to help us tonight. Refresh us. Remind us. Strengthen us, Lord, for your glory. We love you tonight. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, if you would, pronounce a blessing on your neighbor in the name of Jesus. And if it's appropriate, only if it's appropriate, give your neighbor a holy hug and very possibly a holy kiss. You have to wait till I say that. <laughs>